Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Well, good morning. I'm over here. Pastor Brandon, that's me, in uh, case you forgot my name in the past few weeks. I am back, so is the rest of my family. We come, come to you by way of the long-lost city of Orlando, Florida, uh, where they're getting ready to get hit by a hurricane. Somebody asked me if uh, on our departure we, we ushered in the hurricane, and no, we didn't. So, uh, anywho, glad you're back, glad I'm back. It's a lot cooler here, less humid. Reminded me of the reason why we left Orlando, Florida in 2004, or Central Florida in 2004. So, anyway, it's good to be back. It's good to be back in saddle. It may be rough today because I haven't preached in three weeks. So, uh, I know you've, you're, you've become accustomed to shorter sermons in the past few weeks, but really good sermons in the past few weeks. Lower, lower the bar a little bit more for me this week, all right? Uh, We're starting a new series uh, this month called The Hard Knock Life, and actually we're over the next four weeks, and we're not doing the last Sunday on this topic. So four weeks, we're going to be studying the life of Joseph. Now, there are a couple of characters in the Bible named Joseph. We're looking at the Old Testament Joseph, specifically in the book of Genesis, starting with chapter 37. Joseph is a son of Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Joseph is the 11th son in birth order. He only has one other brother younger than him. His name is Benjamin, okay? And Joseph has a story that lasts the last half or the last part, if you will, of Genesis. More time is dedicated to the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis than any other character, believe it or not. We're going to look at his story. How does this tie in to our theme of love this year? Because if you look at the whole theme and the whole story of Joseph in the Old Testament, you see that love keeps no records of wrongs. And we're going to look at that. Now, each week we'll be building to that moment. This week we're looking at dreams, rivalry, and slavery. The very beginning of the story where we come upon Joseph and and, and how he connects to his family and what makes him more special than his other brothers. T.E. Lawrence has said, all men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds awake in the day to find that it was all vanity. But dreamers of the day are dangerous men, for the many act out of their dreams with open eyes, they make it possible. See, there's a story of Joseph, and Joseph is known at least first off by his dreams. He has two dreams. And, and how many of you love to tell your dreams to other people? It depends on the dream, right? <laughs> I had a dream last night about you. You want to hear it? You probably don't want to, right? You don't want to tell certain dreams to certain people that you've had about them, especially if you're murdering them in your dream or something like that. <laughs> Anywho, I digress. But there are some dreams when we wake up, we're like, oh, I've got to tell you this dream I had. If you can remember all the details of it, and it's, it's got flying monkeys, and you're in there somewhere, and you just go on and on and on. Well, Joseph actually had dreams, but his dreams were more about the future. And he, he decides, I'm going to tell my family about this. They're going to love it. Guess what? They didn't love it. You're going to find out why. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. We are going to read all 36 verses. If you've never been to church here, I read the whole chapter usually. Uh, And the reason is, I'm not one of those pastors that doesn't like to use the whole word. I want you to get the context of what's going on in the story. And actually, I would tell you, don't just take chapter 37, read the chapter before and the chapter after it to get the fuller context. But we're just going to be looking at chapter 37 today. 
And so let's look at Jacob and Joseph and the brother's story today. Getting a little bit of feedback. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, how old was Jacob or Joseph? How many of you are 17? No, I'm not asking if you were or if you feel like it. All right, now, those of you that are 17, I want you to perk your ears up and think of this, okay? And those of you that, okay, if you were 17 at any time in the past, think about what was going on in your life at age 17. This is Joseph's story. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah, but Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. He is a tattletale. <laughs> right? That's what he is. Did, Joseph has half-brothers. Now, if you don't understand the story of Jacob, Jacob's story is pretty enthralling too. We talked a little bit about Jacob earlier on this year, but we didn't talk about his married life. So he married Rachel, his favorite, but not before he was tricked into marrying Leah, Rachel's sister, who had pretty eyes. Seriously, read the story. It's not, not that bad. Well, Rachel couldn't have babies for many years, but Leah could. So Jacob's favorite wife couldn't have kids, but the sister he was tricked into marrying could. So Rachel got jealous. And she said, why don't you take my servant girl and sleep with her? Hey, it sounds like Abraham and Sarah. Remember with Hagar? And Jacob's like, well, okay. <laughs> I'll sleep with your servant girl. And, uh, and then Leah realizes what's going on. And she's like, no, 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 you're not going to give one up on me. I'm paraphrasing. If you don't believe me, read the story. And so Leah says, you take and sleep with my servant girl. And now there are four women bearing children to Joseph. In all, Joseph has 12 kids. Joseph's one of them. Joseph and Benjamin come from Rachel. How do you think that's going to set up the story? So Joseph now... In the mix, 17, he's got older brothers now, probably 20s, 30s, uh, maybe some of them at this point. And, and now Joseph is reporting back to his dad. Hey, dad, I saw um, Reuben, and Reuben was whacking one of the sheep with a stick, and it was not in a good way. He was beating him, daddy. So Joseph is going and tattling on the rest of his brothers. I'm sure that's exactly how it happened, only in Hebrew language, which I'm vaguely familiar with at this point. Now listen to the next verse, verse 3. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. Hey, parents, <laughs> you have a favorite kid? Uh, and I know every one of you going to say no, but deep down, there's a part of you <laughs> that gravitates toward one kid more than the others, and it do, but that doesn't mean they're my favorite. I just relate to them better, right? But at least the Bible's honest. It says somebody snorted over here because it was funny. <laughs> All right, so Joseph was Jacob's favorite. He comes right out and tells us that. How do you think that bodes with the other brothers? Uh, we know, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. Joseph is the favorite. What am I, chop goat liver? Whatever. I mean, they were herdsmen, so. Um, born in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Have you ever heard of uh, Dolly Parton's coat of many colors? You know, Side note, I would love to have dinner with Dolly Parton one day. It's been one of my bucket list items, so if any of you can hook me up with that, that would be great. And it's, listen, it's because she's like a grandmother to me. It's no other reason, I promise. It's just been a dream of mine since I was a kid. You're going to have to cut that out of the uh, tape for the, for the online version of this podcast. Anyway, coat of many colors. Now, we think it was because they couldn't afford much, but listen, Colorful fabric was expensive, okay? 
Jacob had a coat made for Joseph that was multicolored. It was flashy. It was expensive. How do you think the other brothers felt about that? Woohoo! Joseph's getting the good stuff. So excited for him. No, they were getting ticked off, I'm sure. Let's just find out. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Not about him, but to him, face to face. One night, Joseph had a dream, and here we go with the dreams. I'm, I'm sure these are going to help Joseph in the long run, you know, because he's, the, he's dad's favorite, dad loves him more. These dreams are going to let him off the hook of the hatred from his brothers. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain, and then suddenly my bundles stood up, and all your all's bundles gathered around and bowed before mine. Yay! Woohoo! You're gonna, right? His brothers responded, So <laughs> you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think that you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream. Great. He's got another dream going on, stewing in there somewhere. And he told his brothers about it. Listen, I had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed low before me. Now, what is he saying? This time, he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. And his father scolded him. Wait, the father loved him more than the other brothers? What kind of dream is that? He asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the, bow to the ground before you? Well, his brothers were jealous of Joseph. His father wondered what the dreams meant. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pastor their father's flocks at Shechem. When he, excuse me, when they had gone for some time, jo uh, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pastoring the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to them. Well, I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Well, go see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. Well, we know what Jacob's, or Joseph's reports are. What, what did we read at the early part of, of this chapter? He would go tell on his brothers. And daddy knows that. And so daddy knows that his older kids are out in the fields pasturing the flocks and wants to know what's going on with them. And he knows Joseph's going to come back and tell him everything that's going on in the fields. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, go do this. I'm ready to go. Go see how your brothers uh, and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back, report to me. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. Now, this is a couple days' journey or more, two to three days' journey. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the country, said, hey, dude, are you lost? Is basically what he asked him. What are you looking for? I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they're pastoring their sheep? Yes, the man told him. They've moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. And as he approached, they made plans to give him hugs and loves and smooches and great fanfare. Yeah. Oh, you could read that. Oh, okay. I'm sorry about that. Um, yes, it does say something quite different, doesn't it? They made plans to kill him. Have you ever wanted to kill your brother or sister? I mean, not really. You ever said, I'm going to kill you, and started running after them because they pulled a prank on you or did something to you that you didn't like? Well, these brothers actually were going to follow through with it. Let's read on. Here comes the dreamer, they said. 
come on, let's kill him and throw him in one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him, and then we'll see, the, see what becomes of, then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him in this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. But Reuben was secretly planning a rescue, uh, to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing, still wearing the robe his father had given him. And they grabbed him and threw him in the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders or Midianite traders, depending on your version of scripture, taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? His blood would just give us a guilty conscience. Basically, if we left him in the cistern to die, we're going to feel guilty about it. Let's not do that. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to the Ishmaelite traders. After all, he's, he, he is a brother, our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Actually, some of the verses say 30 pieces. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, The boy is gone! What will I do now? Then the brothers killed a young goat, dipped Joseph's robe in its blood, and they sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message, Look what we have found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it's my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph was clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap, which is a sign of mourning. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt. They sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. There seems to be kind of that, hey, there's something more coming. So that will be next week. But of these 36 verses, what's the key point I want you to take away this morning? It's this, all wrongs derive from selfish motives. All wrongs derived from selfishness. The key root of sin is selfishness. Selfishness or pride. Pride is this idea of focusing so inwardly that we're only looking at the self and what we can benefit from something and what we can't benefit from. How did uh, Joseph's brothers deal with, with uh, the favoritism in the family? They turned inwardly. And then they projected outwardly because that's what we do when we get selfish, when we feel jealous or envy. And we've talked about love is not jealous, doesn't envy, doesn't boast. We've already talked about that this year. What happens when we're jealous? We turn inward because we don't like the way we feel about how someone else is getting something we think we deserve. Right? Well, we're one of Think of Joseph's brothers. We're one of our father's sons. Why doesn't he love us as much as he loves him? Why did, why did, you would feel the same way, right? You would struggle with if you, and maybe you grew up in a home where you knew your parent, one of your parents or both of your parents favored one of your siblings and not you. And maybe they told you that. And it was painful for you to hear. So put yourself in their shoes. How would you respond? How would you react? You can see how they justified their behavior, but was their behavior right? No, because selfishness never leads to good behavior or good actions. Selfishness, selfishness leads to reactive behavior and impulsive decisions that oftentimes ends up destructive. Joseph's dreams 
brought contempt. That's the first point this morning. So Joseph's dreams, what do we learn about these 36 verses? How does selfishness play itself out in this? And and eventually, again, we're going to find out how does love keep no record of wrongs? If you stick with me throughout the rest of the series, you're going to figure that out. And you may already know because you know the story of Joseph, but I want you to stick with us. Joseph's dreams brought contempt. Why did Joseph's dreams bring contempt from his brothers? Think about this with me. Joseph was 17 years old. He has 10 older brothers. Joseph was the favorite son of, a, of the favorite wife, Rachel. Joseph was so favored. In fact, his father made him this special robe that he didn't make any of the other brothers a coat that typically signified wealth and royal status. Not only this, think about another one. Uh, uh, The prodigal son story in the New Testament. Prodigal son takes his inheritance, leaves town, finds himself in a pig pen, eating, can't even eat the pods that he's feeding the pigs. He comes to his senses, decides to go back home. The father sees him off in the distance. And instead of being angry and selfish, And saying, I told you so, what does the father do in the prodigal son story? He starts to run. He hikes up his robe in an undignified way and begins to run toward his prodigal son that had run off some time ago. And what does he yell back to the servant at the house? Get my robe and the signet ring. And he gets the robe that signifies status and royalty. And instead of demeaning and beating down the younger son who had made a horrible mistake in not only judgment but action, the father who is completely selfless does something that none of us could ever really wrap our heads around unless you've been there. He restores the son to equal status in the home He restores his inheritance even. Because when he gave him the robe and the signet ring, what does he do? He says, I'm going to put you back in the position you were when you left. And you'll get the inheritance again. What You already took your inheritance, the older brother's thinking. But with the father's one action, he elevates him back to the status of royalty in the home. Back to the status of a child of the father. Now, the father in this story gives one of his sons a robe. What does he do with it? Well, the son wears it with pride. There's a little bit of naivety in a 17-year-old's mind, and I'm not trying to knock you guys who are 17, but those of us that have been 17 before and are now decades older than that look back on our, on our life as 17-year-olds, 16-year-olds, and we think, oh, and I see pictures of me at that stage of life, and I had my nice little peach fuzz mustache because I thought I was all that. Skinny as a rail with bug-eye glasses because that was a style in those days. And I, (laughs) I wasn't all that. I know it's hard to believe. (laughs) But I think of how naive I was at 17 years of age thinking I knew more than my parents, I knew better than my parents, I knew, I knew enough that I could live on my own. <laughs> no, I couldn't. I had no idea. So now we have Joseph, and he's 17 years old. He's getting these dreams, and though God may have his hand on his life, Joseph is taking these dreams, and, and without either he's intentionally doing it or he's unintentionally doing it, he's lording over his brothers. Do you see what he's doing? He's a little snot right now, okay? He's, ta- he's a tattletale. Now, there's nothing wrong about tattletaling. I want you to, don't think it's not okay to go say something to somebody if somebody else is doing something wrong. It's okay to talk about those things. But what he's doing is the typical young, naive, little brother behavior. And he continues to dig himself a bigger hole. My guess is he didn't think his brothers would do what they were going to do. They just didn't give him noogies or swirlies in a toilet bowl. They actually opted to do something worse. And being a couple days or more from where their father was, perfect opportunity. 
The dreams caused contempt because the dreams were about them bowing to him and they didn't like him. That's that's kind of a painful prospect, isn't it? Now think of this. Is God's will always done? Yes, God's will is always done with or without us. We think it's not always done, and it may not be done in your life because you have a say over your life, and he gives you the freedom to have a say over your life. But regardless of your life, God's will is always done because his will is perfect. His will is sovereign. His will is higher. And he will accomplish what he sets out to do, whether or not we decide to join him in his work or not. His will may not be accomplished in our lives if we refuse to be a part of his will, but he wants us to join in that story with him. Interestingly enough, in Joseph's story, we're going to find out that the brothers thought that this was going to, yeah, we'll see if his dreams come true now. Either we'll kill him. No, no, no. You know what? We'll do better. We'll, we'll benefit. We'll, we'll sell him off and we'll get something for it instead of a guilty conscience and we'll send him off and he'll never return. We'll send him off to Egypt. That's more than a couple days travel and journey. He'll never come back. And if he dies in slavery, that's not on us. That's on his captors. Put yourself in this family dynamic for a moment. How would you feel if you were one of Joseph's brothers? The problem is we want to be on equal playing ground with everyone else. And our culture has told us and is doing a good job of that today. Everyone needs to have equal outcomes. Is it equal outcomes or equal opportunity? Let me ask you that. Think with me for a moment. See, we believe in a God who gives us unalienable rights. And we founded our founding documents on those. We all have equal opportunity in America, but not everybody has equal outcomes. It just doesn't happen. We all have the freedom to become what we, what we want to, but circumstances, situations may knock us back. And what we see in our culture that's, that's, that's starting to try to blossom up is, well, we need equal outcomes for everybody. But we notice in the Bible, there are not always equal outcomes in the story, is there? Are there? No. In God's economy, there's equal opportunity, but not always equal outcome. The problem is we want equal playing ground with everyone, but when we are not, excuse me, but when we're not, uh, when we don't have those equal outcomes, our reactions tend to be motivated out of selfishness. Have you ever said this? Why, when, when is it going to be my turn? When, how come this guy or this girl keeps getting the promotions and I work my fingers to the bone? I do more than they do, and they keep getting the benefit. And you might say that in your home. Maybe, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's your brother or sister that keeps getting more than you or better than you. Maybe they're the ones that keeps getting straight A's, and you have to work yourself to death to barely scrape by a C. When am I gonna? When am I gonna get the A? I work harder than they do. All they have to do is, is look at a book and then go in. And they can make straight A's. Do you know what I'm saying? Have you ever been in these situations where you begin to compare yourself to everybody else and you start to have contempt against them because they're getting what you're working so hard for, but it's coming easier for them? How come? And then sometimes we blame God, or maybe a lot of the times. God, you know what I'm struggling with. Why don't you just bless me? Why don't you give me what they've got? And the problem is the enemy begins to hold sway over us because we begin focusing not only, we begin focusing on our situations, on our problems, on the people we're frustrated with, and he's won control over us. The enemy does that. 
The reason he holds sway over us isn't because he kicks the door down and comes in like a mighty roaring lion. It's that we open the door to him and we allow him to hold sway over us. And then contempt builds and then hatred builds and then selfishness and all, it just takes control. Until we find ourselves in the midst of this anger and rage and we don't know what to do with it. And a lot of us act out because of it. Joseph's dreams, though true, cost him greatly. They were the straw that brought contempt from his brothers. They might have been true. They might have even been timely. But it didn't benefit him to talk about them. It only caused him more problems. But I want you to watch in the next few weeks how God brings beauty from ashes. Second thing we noticed about Joseph this morning is Joseph's brother's rivalry resulted in selfish reaction. What did they do? He tells them their dreams. They get even more angry and hateful. Toward him, they see him coming in the distance. They know dad has sent him to spy on them and report back. And they said, we'll kill him once and for all. And their rivalry gets the better of them. And they start to react. Remember what I said? If we, if we don't take control of our emotional state, if we don't allow God to hold sway over us, if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to birth and to, to produce within us the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, what happens? If you read just prior to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, where I just quoted that from, you'll read another list that is, uh, it's rotten fruit. That's kind of how I describe it. It's a fruit of wickedness. So Joseph's brothers get caught up in bearing the fruit of wickedness. Instead of taking control and handing that stuff over to God, they become reactive and they take matters into their own hands. Let me ask you this. Um, when you get frustrated with somebody, what's your normal reaction? To pray for them? Maybe some of you will say that. Maybe, maybe you've matured in wisdom and knowledge and understanding of the Lord, and you're walking in lockstep with the Holy Spirit, and your normal reaction when somebody makes you angry or frustrated is say, Lord, bless them. Lord, I pray for their best. I pray that you would encourage them this day. Typically, the human response is, Lord, pour out your wrath upon them, if you're praying at all. I mean, read the Psalms. They're perfect. You know, David or any of the other Psalm writers, Lord, slay my enemies. Bring them down to the bowels of whatever. <laughs> Sheol, hell, Hades, you know, somewhere. Bring them down, lay them low, wipe them out. That's a human and natural response. In our, I say it's natural. It's only natural in the fallen world. In God's kingdom, that is not natural. That's unnatural. But God doesn't want us to be natural in this world. He wants us to be supernatural. Does that make sense? Church, listen to me. And I'm speaking to the church. If you're here and you're just uh, wondering about this Christian faith thing and not sure you even believe in God, uh, you can listen up too. But I'm speaking specifically to the church right now. If you're a believer in Christ, you're going to hold your emotions under control. You're going to hold your reactions under control. When you get frustrated and when you get angry, instead of reacting out of that, you're going to subdue it and you're going to release it to God. Okay? Brandon, better said than done, right? Because in the heat of the moment, when I'm frustrated or angry, you better watch out, because I will bowl you over. Do you know those steamroller? Maybe you are a steamroller. Joseph's brothers had had enough of his antics, of his brattiness, of his pompousness, and they decided we'll deal with him once and for all. 
as with Joseph's brothers, selfish motives can lead us to plot and scheme in order to get rid of that which is causing us frustration. Maybe God doesn't want to get rid of that which is causing you frustration. Maybe what God wants to do is to bring you through it and to sharpen you through it. Maybe he's wanting to purify you through the frustration that you have rather than allowing yourself to be reactive in the frustration. Do you understand what I'm saying? We all get frustrated. Circumstances, situations, people, anything. It may be stuff that's completely out of our control and out of other people's control that frustrate us. But maybe God isn't wanting to eliminate every point of contention in your life, but is wanting to shape and mold you through it, like the great potter and the potter's wheel we read about in Scripture. Maybe he's wanting to work those problems out in your life and mold you and shape you into what he wants you to be, into rather what you think you should be. Maybe you shouldn't hold this sense of rivalry in you. What does rivalry lead to? Usually doesn't lead to good stuff. Well, it can if in the right context, but more often than not, it gets the better of us. Lastly, Joseph's enslavement brought more lies and contempt, or more contempt and lies. <laughs> so the brothers do something. They take him, they planned on killing him, but they're persuaded to sell him instead so that his blood isn't on their conscience. And what happens? Well, how do we, how do we cover this up? Because we can't just go back to dad and telling the truth. You know, we hated Joseph, so we threw him in a cistern. We planned on killing him, <laughs> but we decided to sell him to, some sla or sell him to some traders that were going to Egypt. How do you think that would have gone over? Hey, Dad, we, did, you know, we, just, we didn't like how much you loved him more than you loved us, <laughs> so this is what we did. Right? That wouldn't go over well. But what happens when we do something we know we shouldn't do? What do we tend to do? We've got to cover it up. We've got to lie about it. And what do cover-ups and lies lead to? More cover-ups and lies. And so for, for several years, over probably a decade or more, Joseph's story continues on in Egypt. The brother's story Stories continue on around Shechem. The brothers are miserable, we come to find out later on. All because they've had to spend years covering up and lying and living the lie. How many of you have ever lived a lie? <laughs> How many of you have said things you shouldn't say to cover up things you didn't want to be known? Yeah, we all have. At one point in time or another, I would say 99.9, .9, I'm not going to say 100% because some of you say, I've never lied in my life. Liar. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I'm going to say 99.99999% of you have told a lie. Those rare occasions of those of you that are here that never have. Okay. But what we find out more often than maybe some of you are still living a lie. Maybe the lie you've told has never been found out. Maybe you've just told one. Or maybe you found yourself now having told one so long, you're beginning to believe the lie you've told is actually truth. And maybe you lie so often it's become such a habitual thing that you can't delineate truth from lies anymore. One thing I know, <laughs> Jesus tells us something so significant about his character and who he is. And you hear me quote it all the time in John chapter 14, verse 6. I, he says, Jesus says, am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. How do we come to the Father? Through the way, 
to the Father, who is Jesus. How do we come to the Father? Through truth. What does truth do? It illuminates what's false. It's like a big light. Okay? That's why Jesus is called light a lot of times. In John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, John refers to Jesus as light as well as life. If Jesus is truth and the truth is light, light, then Jesus is also light. And wherever Jesus is, he illuminates what's false. And if you keep having to cover up and cover up and cover up, I mean, there's only so long and so far you can cover up. And you might even be able to go to your grave with a cover-up, but you can never cover up from God. God knows. And someday we will all stand before him. The one who knows truth from fiction, lies from falsehoods. And he will, he will be able to stare us in the face. This, this, this unadulterated love. And we will be completely exposed. See, there's freedom in telling the truth. There's bondage in telling lies. The 10 brothers that took Joseph and put him into slavery, sold him off, they were in bondage. They were in bondage from the first day they started to hate their brother. They could blame it on their dad. They could blame it on Joseph. But there's really one enemy out there that's worth blaming. And if he can get us focused on our dads, on our brothers or sisters, if he can focus on a, get us focused on our boss as being the reason why things are bad, guess what he's done? He's won power and control over you. There is an enemy, and it's not your boss, it's not your spouse, it's not your kids, it's not your siblings, but we play into the context of the lie that other people are our problem and other people are our enemies. Well, wait a minute, the New Testament, Jesus says love your enemies. Yes, because there are people that are against us, but we don't have to be against them. Instead, if someone persecutes you, what are you to do? Pray for them. If someone tries to do you harm, instead you do good. See, when we become believers in Christ, we become new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. And instead of reacting out of rivalry or reacting out of anger and contempt, we are to be supernatural. Allowing the Holy Spirit in us to birth within us life, not death. See, the brothers in the story here birthed death through their anger and contempt toward their brother when they should have been birthing life. Selfish motives put to action are always dependent upon lies and deception to keep up appearances of innocence. And lies and deception ultimately force us to disconnect and disassociate from those with whom we're jealous. For Joseph's brothers, this, this disassociation from even mentioning his name or calling him brother, th isn't this coat that's now stained with blood and torn, isn't that your son's? Do you see what they're doing? We're not even going to call him. I mean, yeah, he's half brother, but he's still flesh and blood. The same blood from Jacob that courses through the brother's veins courses through Joseph's. But they can't even bring themselves to call him brother. That's what lies and deception do. They separate. Truth brings together and unifies. Some of you are in here right now, and you've allowed the enemy to so gum up the recesses of your mind with hate vindictiveness, anger, frustration, bitterness, resentfulness because of what somebody has done to you, because of the way somebody's reacted to you, because of any number of circumstances and things. And I'm not saying it's easy to let go of, and you can't do it in and of your own strength. But what you have to come to is this thing that Joseph, in, throughout the course of his life, has to come to. Love keeps no record of wrongs. You will always live in bondage if you hold hate in your heart. You will. You will always live in bondage 
and in slavery to the anger, to the hatred, to the frustration. Even if your anger is toward God, you'll continue to live in bondage, no matter what. And some of you have held on to anger and hatred and bitterness and resentfulness and unforgiveness in your life for so long that it has so infiltrated every fiber of your being, heart, soul, mind, and strength, you don't know what life would be like without it. And some of you fear letting that go. Because in letting that go, it'll leave this gaping wound in you. But that gaping wound can be filled and healed by the power of the Holy Spirit and give you the freedom you've never known. I think there are a lot of Joseph's brothers in this midst today. And you believe the lies of the enemy that says, you're not loved. Somebody else is loved more than you are. You're unworthy to be loved. And it's built up this contention in you. And you've begun to believe the lie that you're not worth it. And so if I'm not worth it, I might as well just live however I want to, do whatever I want to. And you grow further and further apart from those who love you and especially the one who loves you the most, God. As our worship team comes forward, I'm going to close with this. The name Benedict Arnold. Have you ever heard of the ben- Benedict Arnold? I don't know if they teach this in school anymore. <laughs> Benedict Arnold is synonymous with the word traitor in our country. But did you know he was actually a loyal citizen of what was to become the United States? He was this gallant soldier, a five-star general. He was wounded twice in battle. He was highly respected for his military leadership. He even enjoyed the friendship of George Washington the first president of the United States. They were close friends at one time. But during the Revolutionary War, which set us free as a country from England, Benedict Arnold saw five subordinates promoted over him. He saw five people who were under his leadership appointed to higher positions than he was. And the blow to his esteem was more than he could, ima- he could manage. The injury to his pride was far greater than those physical injuries he sustained in battle. So he laid plans to get revenge. In 1780, he attempted to betray vital West Point to the British. He later moved to England and was paid a sum of money to compensate for his property loss, but he was never fully accepted within British society. He eventually returned to trading, but he died mostly unsuccessful and unhappy. His downfall was not greed. His problem was one of jealousy and anger and bitterness. Do you know who the most difficult person to love is? It's easy to love friends and not too difficult to love those less fortunate than ourselves. It certainly isn't easy loving our enemies, but sometimes the person most difficult to love is the one who is more fortunate than we are. The one who receives the promotion that we think we deserve. The one who gets the recognition that we desire, the honor we seek, or the affections of the lover we had hoped to win. It's easy to resent those who seem to be more fortunate than we are. This morning, some of you are in bondage to hatred, anger, bitterness, rivalry, contempt toward another person, or maybe even to God. You will never know freedom if you continue to harbor that. And I know some of you do. I've heard some of your stories, and I still hear some of you tell me things that continue to incense you today with deep-seated, deep-rooted anger and resentment because of what happened to you maybe decades ago. There is freedom. There is hope. There is a Savior who can set you free. But you have to be willing to be 100% willing to surrender. Not just some of yourself, not just most of yourself, not 99.99999% of yourself, but 100% of yourself. 
to God. And that requires you to let go. And some of you are holding so tight to these emotions and these feelings that to loosen your grip would hurt. But there's freedom in loosening your grip. Let it go. If you want to pray and have someone pray with you to help you go through the steps of deliverance, and this is what this is. This is a deliverance kind of ministry to be delivered from the strongholds of the enemy on your life, which has produced anger, hatred, and bitterness. Come to my right, your left. Somebody will pray with you and walk you through the steps of deliverance. And it's as simple as praying this prayer. Father, I forgive so-and-so. I ask that you would forgive so-and-so, and I pray that you would bless them more than you bless me. That's hard. But you break the chains of the enemy that have so weighed you down if you could pray that prayer to let somebody off the hook, and you can be delivered today. If you need to pray and make your peace with God alone without anybody bothering you, come to my left or right. But don't leave today continuing to harbor those, those painful, painful emotions. Let's pray. Father, in this place today, I know you want to do a healing work. And healing isn't just a physical thing. It's also a mental and emotional thing. You want to bring healing to those that are in bondage to hatred and anger and resentfulness and unforgiveness. We know you want to bring reconciliation because of what Jesus did. He reconciled us to God through himself on the cross. And God, you've given us that ministry today, the ministry of reconciliation as the body of Christ. May we not only be reconciled to you through Jesus Christ, but to one another through the power of the Holy Spirit that brings unity and peace. Thank you, Father, for your love, your commitment to us. Now we also, may we also love and be committed to one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.